Debriefing today unplugs people's creativity by embracing the wonder of change. It seeks inspiration from maverick innovators and change makers to share their stories, experiences, and dreams. Who doesn't like a good story to let the imagination flow? Today, we explore the value of narrative foresight to actually explore, generate, and describe possible alternative scenarios, whether utopian or dystopian. I'm joined by Sohail Inayatullah, UNESCO Chair in Future Studies. Welcome, Sohail, and thank you for being with me on the podcast today. Uh, great to be here. So I'm fascinated by the way you describe the inherent value of narrative foresight um, and the power to question certainties, uncertainties, and drive changes. You say the future helps us to see the present anew and action transformation. It sounds very complicated and very challenging. How can we use the future and wh why should we use the future actually? So the notion is the future is already using us. So it's not we're using it. The future is using us all the time. So that's a deep historical structure. So people think they have a vision of the future, but usually it's just from some TV show they watched 30 years ago. For example, the Jetsons or Star Trek. Yeah. So not, I'm not judging those shows, but I'm saying our imagination of the future is already pre-configured. By someone else. It's already, yes. So then our futures are saying, okay, given that, are you willing to explore what your authentic future looks like? So to do that, we first have to challenge what's called the used future. Stories we've been given to us that may or may not work, but we believe they're ours. So we challenge them, we question them, and that can be very disturbing, emotionally difficult to people because they believe this is their authentic future and then say, oh my God, that's not my future. Someone gave me that future. Then part two is, okay, given that, what future do I want? What are the possibilities? What's my vision? So that's a two-part process there from challenging the used future to creating preferred futures. So, I mean, and it's difficult for many people. I was one workshop I was doing in Taiwan, uh, I think she was 22. She started to cry during the workshop. And I said, what's going that? on? What do you do with that? Well, I asked her what's going on. And she said, uh, I never knew I could have a preferred future. She said, I grew up in a very traditional family. I'm supposed to, you know, you follow the father, then you follow the husband. And this whole thing was, okay, that's traditional Confucian history. You may or may not want to do that, but you have now have a choice to, correct, to create your own future. So this was a powerful shift to her. So this is the power of shifting from a future you must do to a future you create. Mm. And do you need any special, special, you know, quotation mark special, any particular skills, capability, or, or like mindset to activate the, the use of futures? Well, in our work, future studies, we actually have structured methods and tools. So the methods and tools enable the new mindset. So in my work, the first thing I tell people, see the future as an asset. If it's an asset, how do I use it? So I suggest use it as a learning journey. Go from predicting the, predicting the future to creating alternatives to finding your narrative. And yes. part two of that is, is challenge the used future. What are we doing today that, that, that doesn't work, that we have to let go of? And the next part is it was called emerging issues analysis. What's coming down the road? 
So say I've challenged my traditional future, but I still need to be aware of what are the new technologies? What are the new, the new economies, climate change, pandemics? So now I'm anticipatory. Mm. And then to make sense of that, then we use scenarios. And then we ask the question, now you've looked at four or five alternatives, where do you wish to be? And then comes the narrative part. So say my future in 2030, I wish to be like this, but I don't have a supporting story. So our hypothesis is then culture is strategy for breakfast. I say my goal is X, but that may be too far. That may go against my belief system, my culture. So then the vision fails every time. So our work is rethink my personal story, rethink our narrative, and ensure the narrative fits to the future we wish to see. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, I have my preferred future, you have your preferred future, um, but sometimes it's also hard to, you know, externalize that and make other people understand my vision because it's in the future, so I don't have anything to show in some way. So is that narrative the best way to, you know, to tell a story and let someone else visualize in their mind your or my or someone else? Uh, future vision to help them jump into that or, you know, or start a conversation. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's two ways, warm data, cold data. So one way to share your preferred future in 2030, I want 50% of the world's population to have access to 5G. So that's a very clear quantitative goal. Yeah. And, and, and the metaphor could be in 2030, uh, everyone is connected or all knowledge, all information, all education is anywhere, anytime for whoever, for whomever. So you go from cold data to warm data. Yeah. And you have different question to, to that, you know, um, I guess because you already put some way of uh, a result to what you're, you're looking for the 5g example. But then when the other one, you say, um, I want to have every, every, you know, the entire world connected. You, you don't have a solution to that. So you actually have different um, cognitive process going on. Um, that's fascinating. Um, how can you put a scale or a dimension to the futures, um, you know, to generate a narrative? Is there something, maybe it's come back to this cold and, and warm data. Um, do you, when you do the scenarios, do you need to say, okay, let's, in this scale is, you know, the entire world or just Australia because we're here in Australia today or um, how do you go about so that? I, I mean, I let that, that's dependent on the context, right? So if you're doing your PhD, then you define your research question. Is it global? Is it Australia? Is it Italy? Hmm. If it's client-based, then I let the client define it. By client could be a student, a friend, a country, a corporation, a business, a community. So you say, well, what's the research question? And the scenarios are there to bring variation. So if the metaphor is we're all connected, now what does that mean in the scenario world? Scenario one could be we're all connected through 5G. Scenario two could be the real connection is spiritual. We all feel we're on this beautiful planet and we all feel connected to nature, to people, to technology, and to spirit. And three could be what we're deeply connected through face-to-face meetings. So the notion of connection is the deep metaphor well, it's not a great metaphor, but it's towards a metaphor. And then you move towards what does that mean in scenarios? Here are four possible ways to think about it. So this is where we're dancing between measurement. Here's our measurement. Here's our scenarios or alternatives. And here's our story. 
So connection could be the glue that doesn't let go. But that may be too much for people. So it could be like a Lego system. You connect and then you disconnect when appropriate. So is it the glue or Lego? Yeah, different different story. Yeah, and, and the bad version for me is Ikea. You get the you, you, um, you get the chairs and the table and you don't know how to connect it. Yeah, everyone has a um, different interpretation of, of that. I'm really interested to, to understand more about um, the aspect of, you know, using narrative also to anticipate and prepare to, to what could be. And, and also, you know, based on this, if we anticipate something, uh, we won't see the... Uh, you know, the effect of, of in case we didn't anticipate. So for example, in, in COVID-19, some countries took measurement before others. And then they might have said, you know, the population might say, oh, you know, we went in lockdown and, you know, we didn't need to go in lockdown. But, um, you know, it's very hard sometimes to anticipate something because then people are not, are not sure if you made the right decision or not because, they haven't seen actually the worst case scenario. So how can people be confident and using, of using scenarios and say, okay, we are doing this to, in order to try to avoid something else, but we need to be confident that this is the right way to go. That's why, so part of futures is the product, right? Someone wants a vision, a strategy, a scenario. It's a very concrete. The other part of futures is futures literacy. Now, futures literacy means being comfortable in uncertainty. Yeah. And so then it's, that's almost scientific literacy. None of us can predict perfectly accurately what's going to happen. But I remember there was a case study in Australia where they spent $254 million in the 1990s for smoking prevention. Now, that's a lot of money in the 1990s. Yeah. So someone did a simulation exercise and said, if we do nothing, here's what happens to our economy prosperity, productivity, hospital use, health indicators. So we need to do something. And in 2005, they did a study on the, on the gains. And their estimate was they gained $8 billion in productivity in terms of people not getting cancer, not being sick, families not being destroyed. So this was, you do the forecast, worst case, given that let's make a exercise, best guess. You know, you would say, well, here's, here, here's actually what we're going to do. Now, what happens today with the conspiracy theory movement is people say, well, that's all fake. You know, COVID is a hoax. So they go from a wrong forecast to bad interests and bad politics, and they don't understand what it's making decisions and situations for uncertainty. So thus, in our futures work, we do scenarios. So all the groups I work with, I said, well, if you want action, present to your board the worst case scenario if we do nothing. And then what's going to be the best case if we act and change our story? Now, this takes time. I was working with one large company, and they had spent a lot of money on futures. I think a few hundred thousand dollars to develop their strategy. So they brought me in to talk about a 90-minute session. And we finished the session, and then we investigated. Then we stayed for the board meeting. In the board meeting, they were very clear they weren't going to make any differences. So then I suggest you've paid all this money for this project. They paid their consultants. Why aren't you making a difference? Why aren't you acting on the information? And this became the, now narrative is crucial here. Mm -hmm. So it came down, they said, 
is that the data suggests we're going to be disrupted in the energy field. However, our story is we're a monopoly. The system is a monopoly, not the story. And I said, so what's your story? He said, our story is we're like Queen Elizabeth, the ship, and we have, we're the best ship in the world. We're the biggest ship. Nothing's going to happen. Like with Queen Elizabeth, right? Yep. They have a monopoly on royalty. So given their data said you're going to be disrupted, the story said, no, we're the Queen Elizabeth as the ship. And now we have a tension between the story, their data, and their strategy. So then I said, what's the story they can get you to act? And their new story was from Queen Elizabeth, the ship, to five patrol boats. Patrol boats are safe, low risk. Patrol boat one, five million to do research on energy apps. Patrol boat two, 10 million to look at solar panels for every house in the country. Patrol boat three, using wind and, uh, and, and thermal power. Patrol boat four, peer-to-peer energy. So if I said your new strategy will be the app, or solar, it's too scary for them because they have a monopoly. Once we shifted the story from Queen Elizabeth to patrol boats, now the strategy seems easier. I can go to action because it's step by step by step. So what I always recommend, find the story that's preventing you from changing and what's the better story that gets you on your way to where you wish to go. Yeah, and and this last point, very interesting in because narrative are, as stories, as you said, um, but then we need, you know, on paper, for example, but then we need to act on that. Um, and sometimes organizations are scared to actually even change their business model to, you know, to do something different, you know, because they have the monopoly for the example that you just mentioned, and they don't want to lose that. They don't want to lose, they're scared to losing what they have already, but the future is going to change and maybe it's going to really impact them. How can, you know, from the beginning of generating the narrative, how can we implement, how can we act on their scenarios? So I use CLA cause alert analysis. Level one is the listening to the data. Level two is the design thinking, the system. Yep. Level three are the different worldviews. Level four is the story. So for example, 10 years ago, at least 15 years ago, the federal government in Australia gave money for a laptop for every student. That was an indicator for their deeper strategy of knowledge revolution. As they did this, things weren't working well. So I was asked to run all these workshops for principals. We took 1,000 principals through this futures process. As it turned out, among the key inhibitors of success was the principal's old story was I'm in control. So new technology comes in, it challenges their control of the classroom. So what do they do? They push away the technology or they keep the technology, but they have kids sit in rows. So surveillance, the industrial model of the school, the factory continues. So there's no innovation. So when we ran principles through this, we came up with a new story. We're all learners, lifelong learners. Everyone's a learner. The worldview went from the factory to to ecology. Now, the design thinking was crucial here. So we redesigned the classroom for students to look at each other, peer-to-peer learning, more fun, games, et cetera. Amazing new design. Now, the weakness was when the deputy uh, secretary came in, he looked at the new design and it didn't make sense to him because he wasn't part of the narrative shift. He got very upset. So the design was too far in the future for him. So in terms of implementation, we want to make sure all the people are involved there. So this is linking metaphor with, you know, with correct, uh, with how you design what you're doing. So if you look at basketball, yep. I grew up with Magic Johnson area, then Michael Jordan came in and said, which became hero ball. 
And the biggest revolution in basketball came from coach Mike D'Antoni. And what did he do? He went from hero ball, he changed the metaphor. He said, follow the energy. So everybody was, okay, follow the energy. Great metaphor. What does that mean? That means the ball doesn't stick. It keeps on moving, moving. So he designed plays. That's level two in CLA, systemic design, to keep the ball moving. Everyone's giving picks. Everyone's cutting. Everyone's moving all the time. And so suddenly the metaphor, find the energy, means we're moving. The ball goes to the right person and they score. And his system has been incredible. Whoever he's coached has done amazingly well because he changed the metaphor, hero ball, find the energy, and then redesign the plays for that. So this is where futures works well. Change the story, redesign, and then find new indicators. So his indicators changed. So when uh, Steph, uh, when uh, Steve Kerr took over Golden State Warriors, the old indicator was number of baskets scored. Mm-hmm. He said, okay, in the new model of find the energy, our number one indicator is number of passes in a game. And he changed that. And that, so in his new, now he had a way to measure the story. Find the energy means how many times did we pass? So this is linking story with indicators with strategy. So this is how futures really works in changing story and design and creates a new future. Yeah. And from, from what you, you say, I'm, I'm understanding that there is also an underlying need to participatory futures. You know, it's not just yes. done by myself on you. It's done by, by people. And, uh, and we need them in the room uh, to make all these, um, to, to integrate different point of view and different perspective um, to, to develop that and actually plan them. No, you've hit it. So that's one of the core ideas of futures. We ask who's not in the room. So in the CLA process, when you do a good CLA map, we try to look at the problem from multiple worldviews. And also we ask, what's the core metaphor of, of the key actors? So I was working for a large bank. They said, from our view as the banker, we keep the economy going. We grease the economy. From the view of the citizen, we're fat cats. From the view of the regulator, you're crazy risk takers. And so they had their strategy. They said, oh my God, our strategy only makes sense for us. We've not considered how others in the system see us. So they had to develop a strategy that included their metaphors. And that becomes far more robust because now you included the different people involved in the world. So I think that's a great point. So this is the deep inclusion gets a more robust product. Yeah, and I'm I'm just thinking about you know design, um, you know design thinking and human centered design. They're saying you know there is a common understanding of uh, uh, talk to the user, understand the users. Uh, but from also uh, from an innovative point of view, they might not know what the technology out there. You know, they might not know that future. So exactly. it's very interesting how this conversation that we're having has a, you know, an over layer of, of, of the future. So the, the past is the past. We can learn from the past, but we, we need to, you know, stop, stop the, the tab of the past and open the tab of the future and, and, and that because we can make change and the past is telling us something, but the future might be different from what the past is telling us. So if you, I mean, now going back to our earlier point, so if I'm only in human-centered design, if I'm only asking the customer or citizen, there's a weakness there. 
because they're giving me information based on the past. When I was working in Rome with FAO, so the FAO group asked me, we're sending out these surveys around food safety to scientists around the world about future risks. When we get the surveys back, they're empty. They're blank. And they couldn't figure it out. And of course, I said, because they're not futures literate yet. You can't expect a brilliant person whose data is present and past-based to be able to give you information about upcoming futures. So phase one is futures literacy. Then yeah. phase two is asking them questions about the future. The second part of the FAO project, it wasn't so long, but I learned a lot from them. Why is that happening? And partly I think people weren't giving information is because the FAO uh, model was Rome-centric. So it was very much, they said, we're like an old blind crippled elephant. So we have history, you know, elephants are powerful, we're strong, but we're getting old. And so then I said, what's a better metaphor that can get you information from the field? And they said the octopus. The octopus has tentacles everywhere. There's still a brain, but even the brain is everywhere. So it went from centralized intelligence to decentralized intelligence. If that's the case, then the goal is to run futures workshop with your scientists from around the world. So you up their skill level in using the future to change today. So the narrative suggests a very different type of strategy. You shift the strategy you shift what you're doing and you shift your outcome then. Yeah, yeah. Um, very, very, very interesting. And when you say about, you know, the first step is being future literate. Um, you know, when, uh, when we go up in, uh, since primary school, uh, elementary school, we've been taught history. You know, yes. we, we study history of this, history of that, you know, our nation, you know, the, the state we're in and then, you know, what happened globally. Um why don't we put also future history? Yeah. yeah. Why don't we have another class that is um, just future? I remember when, when I was in Hawaii, one of my students wrote a paper on what if Captain Cook had it landed. And so he said, here's an alternative history. By the year 2000, the center of the planet is on the continent called Oceania. And he said, here's how we could have evolved. And so that was a great way to write a future history. So you change one event and say, what could have happened? Now, one that can lead to science fiction is interesting, but the real issue is then, okay, if that's your new event, what does that tell you about what your question is, where do you want to be? So we want to use history. I have a book out with Johan Galton called Macro History and Macro Historians. We were very clear, emerging issues analysis, weak signals, that gives us information on unknowns, next 10, 15, 20 years. But there's deep patterns, 50-year cycles, 100-year cycles, long secular linear trends. So we need to understand the deep patterns as well. We understand them better, then we appreciate novelty, but we're not fooled. Because some things are the same things been coming, you know, they're pendulums. They just go back and forth. So we're seeing history as pattern behavior as opposed to data points that are useless. So futures, we use history, but we use macro history. Yeah, you use these um, big trends that could be 25, under years to, to, yes. to, to explore um, what's in the futures. Yeah. Now, um, would be, there are so many opportunities with, with COVID-19. I mean, if we want to be on the positive side of, of the current situation, there are so many opportunities um, in the next 
few months in the next years to do something different and um, impose ourselves and then think about how our life has changed in the good and the better or in the good of or in the negative of what happened in uh, with COVID. Um, what's your view of the futures? Well, in terms of COVID-19, I did a piece with Dr. Peter Black and it was done in late March and we looked at all the literature. And even now in starting of August, it still stays. Scenario one was the zombie apocalypse. That basically this creates renationalization and we're always looking to see who are the enemy. So there's zombies everywhere. Scenario two was the big pause. Slow down, connect with family, connect with nature, connect with community, connect with self. Use this as a chance to revitalize. Scenario three is the global reawakening. So global scientific sharing information, sharing of vaccines, sharing of cures, uh, health that's person-based, prevention, participation, partnership. So this was, this, was, this was our chance to not go back to business as usual. So if we go, when COVID-19 ends, whether medically or socially, we remember the good things and we try to keep them. And scenario four was the great despair. This leads to a seven-year recession, depression. And then, so our, when we run workshops with groups around the world, we ask them, if these are the four scenarios, what will be your strategy in any one of those scenarios? You know, there is also a, a, a notion of, of time. You know, time goes forward. We can't put a pause, you know. Uh, we can pause ourselves to some extent, but time goes on. Um, so shouldn't we aim for the, you know, for the utopian one, knowing what could be the worst case scenarios, but we want to walk towards towards the best. And we need to make something, we need to make a decision. We we need to we need to do because the time goes. So we can't actually stop ourselves completely. Um so the idea is we aim for the for the best one, for the utopian one. We are just on the way as uncertainties unfold. But we 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 do something. We we see the the good from this situation, which is a little bit negative for 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 economy for people, because I mean a lot of people have been affected by that. But we still need to 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 live our life and go ahead. So the I mean the scenario method I use is change progression. So mm-hmm. scenario one tends to be no change. So if we do nothing, what happens? Yeah. Scenario two is marginal change because you want the radical utopian, but if you're if you say your interests are in fossil fuels and you don't want a radical future, you want yeah. no change or marginal change. Yeah. But you still want people to buy your. So then we go towards adaptive change. Given the world is changing, new technologies, robotics, AI, peer-to-peer learning. Uh, holistic health, spirituality, meditation, gender equity, whatever you want to call it, we can see these changes. How are you going to adapt to this changing world? Are you still going to be teaching and learning, teaching and training for jobs that no longer exist? Yeah. So many people do that, right? Their whole, they've designed institutions for a world that doesn't exist. So we call that being codect. Entire countries can be codect. Yeah, yeah. So then we say, well, so we don't want to do that. So let's do marginal. Given the weight of history is so strong in your country, are there some small things you can change? 
Now, once they get more fluid, more futures literate, more innovative, they say, okay, let's adapt to this changing world. Let's create a complex adaptive system. The world changes, we change with it. Now, the yeah. scenario you want is, of course, the radical change. How about we change the rules? Yeah. So that could be a world teaching and training for a world after jobs or different types of jobs, unknown jobs. Exactly. So yeah. my goal is futurists, if we go too far, then they run and they hide. Yeah. But if we don't go far enough, then they run and they hide even more. So we, so we have to push the debate. I did a workshop in January for a school and they came up with their vision for 2030. Uh, global learning, students don't have to start early in the morning. They learn when they want, where they want. They have some face-to-face. Teachers are far more flexible. It's more well-being oriented. So they came up with this fantastic vision for 2030. And not by subject, but teaching by global problem. Now, when COVID started, we met again in May. And they said, the vision for 2030 seems so far, but we've spent three months partially living that vision. So it's good we went to 2030. If we had just said 2020, 2022, we wouldn't have done anything. So the vision forced us, what you're saying, into radical possibility. When COVID-19 came, we could jump on that radical possibility. So our role as futurists is always to push and understand the client, the country, the friends will push back. But we're okay with that. That's why we use scenarios. So we don't have the right answer. We can frame the discussion in different futures. So future four could be the student and teacher learns everywhere, anytime. Now that may be too much for some people. So future three, okay, you learn anywhere, anytime, but you still have face-to-face running, basketball, football. You still do some community-based Future two, you just bring in some new technologies. No change, you do nothing. You just pretend. And you go backwards, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it's, very, it's very interesting to explore possibilities that are not even um, what, what has been in the past. Uh, you know. but, uh, I like one of the scenarios that you say about exploring uh, uh, teaching and learning and teaching and training in, uh, in a future post-COVID when there are no work and we have to live in a different way. Uh, because yeah. it's going to be automated. Um, would you say that it's very, you know, we, we mentioned a few times the word adaptability, you know, being flexible, being adaptable to what comes, and, but being adaptable also to some extent implies that you already, you expect something that could happen so you, you can shift your way to one way or the other. Um, so how important is to be adaptable when we develop the scenarios, but also when we implement the scenarios and we can up- update you know, the scenarios, but also ourselves? So there's two points there. One, adaptability also means adapting to structures that don't want to change. For some, for some people, changing all the time is too much. They need stability. So it's also figuring out what's stable that we need stability and what's not stable. So that's part one. Part two is uh, in terms of how you're talking about it, you don't just want to adapt to the changing world. You want to have the ability to to recreate and change it as well. So that's much different because if you're just adapting, then the world is telling you what to do. So there's a tension between the world you're adapting to and your vision. So that's that dance you have to get clear on. 
So one is adapting to structures that don't want to change. Two is reframing it into using adaptation in a complex way. So the world changes, we change, but then it, it, it's, it's circular, right? Yeah, yeah. So then it's, 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 it's being in that dance. It's an understanding of what happened and then you move and it's like dancing yes. together. And you're not it's dancing together. together. Like you, yeah. you trust yeah. your, your partner because that's just a harmonious movement. Yeah, and our partners have changed. Our partners today, we know our people, planet, Gaia. Yeah. And it's also technology. We're dancing with nature. We're dancing with technology. We're dancing with ourselves and we're dancing with other people. So that's the type of complexity that's tough for people. So again, I always go to action learning. So given all that, people say, what do I do Monday morning? So the Monday morning, there's your vision of 2040, 2050. Then Monday morning, we're still going to show up at the same desk with the same shoes. So then that middle space is a space of creation. That's 2025. So then we do action learning experiments. So I will try this and see what happens. I remember when I was 17, I learned how to do meditation. And one of my friends in Hawaii said, yeah, you won't stick with it. People try it for a few days and they stop. So I said, okay, I'll try it for 50 years. I'll do a 50-year experiment. And after 50 years, I'll give you the results. Now, that's a long experiment, but the idea with organization is, okay, here are 10 new ideas. Let's try this one. And then, and then you experiment, then you come back, you get feedback, and you try again. So futures can become a strategic plan, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be. I would prefer futures creating action learning experiments, which yep. then reinform the strategy and the design. And then you can rework, this, the, uh, you can rework the metaphor. Is it still working? Or is a new metaphor needed? And to do that well, you have to apply it to yourself. So it can't be just, we're trying to change the external world. Narrative futures works primarily with, is the story I'm telling about myself, does it still work? I had one executive in one of my courses, and the course is about the future of technology. But when we did the inner work, I said, so what's the issue you're facing? And she goes, oh, she said it metaphorically. She said, oh, I want to kill my husband. And, 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 and it's a very strong statement, right? And I, and I said, well, tell me more. He goes, I'm really angry at him. And I said, why are you angry? He said, well, he won't move. He's just stuck on the sofa. So I said, okay, let's, let's, do, your, let's do your metaphor work. Okay, so, so what do you want to do? She goes, well, we're stuck on the sofa. I want to jump in a Ferrari and drive away. Okay. So stuck in the sofa to driving the Ferrari. Then I said, how does that make you feel? She goes, well, the problem is if I drive the Ferrari, I have one self called the good girl self. The good girl self doesn't leave the husband. So I said, now your intention between the Ferrari driver who wants to go very fast and the good girl who wants to stay on the couch. So there's now a tension between vision and strategy. So we said, what's a better metaphor that helps you? And the metaphor she came up with was She's in a carriage, horse-drawn carriage. The carriage is leaving, and she's left the door open for him. It's going to go slowly away, but the door is open to invite him in. If he wants to come in, it'll be romantic, it'll be wonderful. They'll move together, but they'll move slowly so he feels comfortable. So now we found scenario, metaphor one, stuck in a couch. Metaphor two, Ferrari, quickly. Metaphor three, the open door carriage. Now the husband has a choice, and they can work together on it. 
And if, he, if she hadn't done that, she would have chosen a pathway which would have led to pain. Now here's a possible narrative and a strategy that hopefully could lead to a good solution. So this is the power of story in one's own life. It ends up, you develop scenarios from your own story, then from the scenarios you develop next steps. So every futures we say, well, let's, we have, before we start a project, what's our own metaphor in the project? And that gives it more vibrancy. It becomes far more robust in terms of being able to adapt to changing conditions. That, that's been fantastic. Um, we talk about narrative foresight, future thinking, you know, people to adapt, participatory scenarios. Um, it's the complexity of the society, but together, yeah, we can, uh, we can build a more sustainable and resilient future. Thank you so much, Soil, for your time and, uh, you know, teaching us from your expertise. It's, it's been great. Thank you. My pleasure. This was fun. Thanks so much. The briefing today unplugs people's creativity by embracing the wonder of change. It seeks inspiration from maverick innovators and change makers to share their stories, experiences, and dreams 